I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design with a conversation about fresh perspectives and using what you have available to craft your surroundings, your business, and your life. Caitlin Murray is the founder and creative director of Black Lacquer Design. Murray cut her teeth in the industry, working for high-profile firms, House of Honey and MASH Studios. So when the time came for her to hang her own shingle, she did it with confidence, knowing that she did the work and knows her craft. Every week, we meet and you hear the stories of another creative doing amazing work. In these conversations, we talk about the work, but mostly, um, and most importantly, we talk about the journey. Every creative has their own story because we all walk our own path. If we're lucky, we don't walk alone. We have people who influence us along the way, who who guide us, who provide us inspiration. Yes, we talk about the work on this podcast because it's important. I love it, and I think you do too, but it's even more important to talk about the journey. I love bringing you these stories, and here's another that I think you will appreciate with Black Lacquer founder... Caitlin Murray. If you enjoy the podcast, and I hope you do, please subscribe to the show everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. You can also follow along online, convobydesign.com, and on Instagram at convobydesign with an X. Convo by Design is presented by Walker Zanger, a fantastic company and an equally fantastic design partner. While the Walker Zanger brand was built on the promise to inspire designers and architects to do their best work, there's far more to it than that. Yes, that promise is fulfilled every day through a commitment to provide the best ceramic, glass, stone, porcelain, and concrete surfaces and finishes. But at the heart is a family-owned and operated business that provides stunning surfaces for a well-designed home and does it to make designers and architects do their best work for their clients. Walker Zanger started in 1952, and they are absolutely one of the best trade partners a designer can have. Check out their newest collaborative line with designer Pieta Donovan, a collection of cement and ceramic tiles inspired by the patterns and colorways of the 1970s and created with a comfortable modernity. Walker Zanger is on the cutting edge of design, featuring products for every style and architectural feel you can create. And they provide homeowners with the materials that dream kitchens and baths are made of. Check out any of their 14 showrooms across the country or shop online, Walker Zanger. Dot com. I don't know what's going on. It's the gardener. It's the trash <laughs> man. It's the people walking their dogs. You because know, it's all, there's always, there's oh always sound. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, it's funny because I've had a home office mm-hmm. for years, probably seven or eight right. years now. And um, it, it's always been great. I mean, I know when the street sweeper comes. I right, know when the right. trash comes. I know when the gardener's come but lately you know for the last five or six months since everyone's been home then it's the taking the dogs out for a walk and people yeah. let their dogs bark at each other like, my husband, like opening the the refrigerator and there's like dinging and i'm like come on Do you, okay so you know what's really interesting about that though i'll tell you i, I my background's in broadcast mm-hmm. so i am so used to it, it being okay everything's got to be perfect no right, bad right. noise audio levels are perfect it, we don't, we don't live, see, with, no, no, I totally get it. That's the point. We don't, we don't live in a, in a perfect world anymore. 
Um, and that's the same with design. Like nothing is ever going to be perfect. And it's really hard to accept that sometimes, isn't it? So that wabi-sabi world, like, like that Japanese concept, but it's, that's too hard too. And my style isn't like bohemian enough to like make it like, I don't know, to make it work in my mind. <laughs> so funny. So you, you just said something that totally strikes a chord with me. I, yeah. I love the idea of wabi-sabi. Mm -hmm. um, you know, finding beauty in mm -hmm. the imperfection. Right. You know, and that, that really is where I feel like, um, you know, this pandemic has changed everything. It's changed every aspect of our lives. I, that's a given, right? But I think it's not all bad. There are some things that come out of this. And in my conversations with creators, it's been really interesting because these are kind of the things that are going to um, change the way we live. They're gonna change design. I'm curious, what are, what are you being asked for now? What are designers, what are, what are design clients asking you for that maybe wasn't on the radar before? So, you know, it's funny. I was just, um, when I was trying to figure out how to get in the same meeting room as you, I, I was watching a video of Kendall Jenner from Architectural Digest showing her new place. And I was telling my husband that, like in the last two days, I've had two different clients mention her house and they both were like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm getting inspiration from a Kardashian or whatever. And I was like, well, she seems like she's pretty cool. And I still hadn't seen the design. But um, I, when I was watching it today, I was surprised. It was very kickback and like very like lived in. And I think that um, people right now are craving stuff that just sort of feels good and cozy and I've always had a theory that design shouldn't ever be too precious. Like you should be able to live in it and you know, you should be able to like let it have a little bit of patina and like have that actually make sense and work. But at the same time, I'm such a perfectionist and I like things to be very polished. So I think it's like finding that balance and you know uh, it seems like it, right as my clients are kind of getting more into this, I feel like I've started to get a little bit away from vintage and like the sort of eclect more eclectic vibe that I had been doing. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, where design goes and the ways that I always feel like I'm kind of pushing back from like whatever is trendy at the moment <laughs> in a way. I don't know. Two things though that I think are, that you said are really interesting, actually three things. The first is that you're a perfectionist. This is not a good time for perfectionists. Um, that you're finding inspiration from a Kardashian. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it's aspirational, but I don't think it's realistic. And then the third part of that is, and I'm forgetting where I was going now, but how to, how to put all of that together for clients because you know what this has become a very challenging time for a number of reasons first of all is it's harder to get in to a project house right now mm -hmm. it's harder to get delivery of the products and materials that you're specifying it's mm -hmm. more challenging to get your clients out of the house so that you can actually get the work done right how has that changed the business side of things for you I think really for me, the hardest part is uh, not because I gave up my office, not knowing how long we were going to be all separated, which I'm glad I did, but not having that like studio space with like one, one area to kind of just dive in and get the job done and not having somewhere to bring clients to look at things and 
Um, but from my clients have been actually really eager. Like they've been down with getting Airbnbs. They've been, they've been wanting to continue construction. I'm going on a shopping trip today, did yesterday and will tomorrow with the client. Um, just because they, I don't know. I think that people are at this point getting a little bit like they're realizing that they want to be investing in their home so much that they, they are chomping at the bit, even though we are still in the midst of a lot of uncertainty and obviously a pandemic. Um, so I think at the very beginning, it was a little bit scary and people kind of reined things in. But right now, it's kind of all systems go, which is great. And I'm happy to oblige. Tell me about the shopping trips. Tell me about um, going into showrooms, yeah. uh, spe specifically. Going into the showrooms, do you feel safe? Do you feel comfortable? Do the clients feel safe? Are you finding the products that you expect when you find something that you love? Can you get it? Um, what's it? What has the experience been like um, lately? Yeah, I've I've really felt like it's been pretty seamless. I mean, everyone's really safe. Everyone wears masks. Like it's it's gotten to the point now where nobody even talks about the fact that it's so weird that we're all wearing masks and like what are we doing on this trip where we're just you know kind of trying to socially distance and act and then talk about you know marble slabs. <laughs> um, but I, the one thing that I will notice uh, that's different is you have to sort of call ahead and they take appointments only. Like yesterday I was at Perch, which is a um, big appliance and plumbing fixture showroom. And we had to wait outside the door and, you know, and so that's a little different, but it's great because it, it's good to see all of the vendors and the reps that I work with, like still working. And it makes me feel like, you know, we can always find a way to adjust and the, and no matter what happens, I think that that's just like the world we live in, like finding creative solutions. And I think that ties into every aspect of life and everybody's career. But I mean, obviously, as a designer, I'm very, very, very used to having to navigate things and like anticipate potential issues and put out fires and like find these creative solutions. So yeah, I'm, I'm having my clients up for it because I am. <laughs> One of the things that I find really interesting is, um, and I want to dig a little bit deeper into this in a minute, but <clears throat> excuse me, the one of the one of the greatest assets, the value that designers bring to the table isn't just, I mean, it is, but it's not just your creativity. It's not just your vision. It's not just your design, but it's also the relationships. So being able to get your clients into the showroom to see specific materials, to make the most of the time, you know, it's funny because I still remember and, I, and I've had conversations with designers who aren't in the business anymore, but, you know, we're, we're in the business 30, 40 years ago. And they used to say, you know, you'd go to the PDC. You'd make a day of it. You'd go in the morning for coffee. You'd, you'd go showroom to showroom to showroom for a couple hours. Then you'd go to lunch. Yep. <laughs> go to lunch in Beverly Hills. And then you'd go back to the PDC. And then you'd, you'd hit floors three and four and five. Oh. You know, you'd, you'd go to more showrooms. That doesn't happen anymore. That hasn't happened for a long time. I'm so glad because that is exhausting because you're presenting and you're performing, you know, like even when the clients are like become your friends, it's still, it's like this process where you're, you're going to have to sort of like hold their hand and then like educate them and make them feel comfortable. So it's a lot of work. Um, 
I think like on an emotional level even, and, and like on a professional level of having to make sure that like they're really understanding everything you're doing and then taking them into these showrooms. I mean, it's overwhelming because it's, there's so much stuff. Like I always prefer to bring stuff to clients because I don't want them to like go off in different directions and, and get overwhelmed or have like, you know, this just like revamp of like the entire direction on the spot because of something they see. So you have to be really strategic about it. And the PDC is dangerous because they could just be walking by a, a show and be like, well, let's go in there. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But that's, that's not how design works anymore. I mean, I, perhaps there are some people that, that still do it. I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm glad. I think that was just the only option back then, you know, it was, um, and that's, I think that's why those, I wonder how those places are going to fare because the, the rent at the PDC is so ridiculously expensive. Like, I don't know how anybody can afford that. It's almost like, it's almost like a marketing tactic, like having like a store on Rodeo Drive. You're not really probably making that much money from that, but you know, it means something from a brand perspective. The address. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a fan of the, of the design center. Um, at the same time, I feel like you can be a fan of a business and still, if, if you're objective, be able mm -hmm. to say, you know, there's, there's a flaw in the business plan right now. Yeah. You have to adapt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So speaking of adapting and speaking of work in the business plan, you know, I noticed that one of the things that you have, and I want to get into the history of, about sort of mm -hmm. how you started Black Lacquer and, and where, yeah. where you came from, how you got here. But one of the things I also noticed about you is that you also offer a virtual design option, an online option. And I think that that's really interesting because, you know, we can still have a conversation about Laurel and Wolf and there's still a lot of people that are really pissed off. And there were people that were, that were, that had a really terrible experience with that. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that the whole virtual design right. side of it, but you have this double-edged sword where you want to do that. But when you do that, you can open it up to all new territories, right? But by the same token, you have clients who will shop you more than they already do, who will take some of the value out of what it is that you bring to the table out of the equation. It's almost like it's discounted. How do you handle both sides of that? So the way that the virtual design works for my company is really like, it was a way to try to cater to um, clients when COVID started happening more than anything. And also to be able to work on projects that are not located within Southern California. So it's really, it's really like customized and like personal um, kind of version of e-design, I would say, because it's, it's basically like everything is the same, except for we're just not going on site, you know, and we'll have to get the client to, take the measurements and to kind of collaborate with us a little bit more. And um, I, I just, I just wanted to create something where I wasn't isolating potential projects that, that weren't like something I could actually access in real life. So we played with a couple of different ways of trying to like standardize it more, like kind of what you're saying, like the Laurel and Wolf model. And I worked closely with my right hand woman, Laura, who I would be lost without. <laughs> and uh, we just, it was like any way we sliced it, like we just couldn't make it work like that. Like we couldn't, we couldn't sort of scale it down to scale it up, if that makes sense. So I just kind of keep doing what I do um, the way that I, that I do it with any client. I think that 
we're going to be seeing this a lot more. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I've had a lot of conversations. One of the things that has come out of the pandemic, which isn't a, isn't a bad thing. You know, I, I love doing this. I love doing this in person. Right. I don't necessarily, I've gotten, I've gotten a little more at ease with doing this on a computer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am so used to bringing my gear out and having a microphone in your hand totally. and a microphone in my hand and, you know, feeling the breeze and, you know, it's just, there's something different about recording in a, in a digital environment versus recording in a real environment. Absolutely. The same way, the same way that seeing design in person is different than seeing design on a computer. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like it's made us change the way we look at things. I and, think so too. I think your brain kind of figures out how to like make up for it. Like you start taking different cues. Like for example, when I'm shopping for furniture online, I know these vendors, I know these manufacturers. I like when I'm looking at a sofa, I know like what that material is and like what it feels like. I have a understanding of it. And so I know that I can suggest it to my client. They might not know that. So they have to trust me. But I think like we pick up cues from real life that we can like later apply to these virtual things. And I think people are getting like more comfortable with that, like being able to, you know, maybe you're not sitting in front of somebody, but like still being able to feel like you have their full attention and like they have yours and you can, you can kind of get, it was like, it's like we're adapting and like learning in a weird way with this virtual thing. Like I think it's kind of fascinating. (laughs) Oh yeah. No question. The other thing too, that, that I think is really interesting. So when I, when I talk to architects, when I speak mm-hmm. to an architect, inevitably, and it usually happens sooner rather than later, we start talking about the language of architecture. Mm, yeah. When you talk to an architect, there is, architecture is a language. And every architect that I've ever spoken to will tell me architecture is a language. And speaking the, the, the language of architecture is sort of one of the ways that you sort of can dig in and evaluate. Right. Design, design, I've rarely, if ever, have I had a designer talk to me about the language of design. You're so right. It's like more like it's, there's, it's a feeling. It's like something that you can't really capture. And like, it's really hard to talk to clients about words that describe design because they could be thinking of something else entirely. It's just so visual and it's so emotional. You know, I, I would like if there were elements that were a little bit more, standardized but like you know I also do interior architecture and you know floor plans elevations like all that kind of stuff so there is that component of working in AutoCAD and having that thing that's just very straightforward um, that nobody can argue one way or another so I think that's kind of why I like that about uh, what I like about this job is we really have to like wear a lot of different hats and like you know it, it makes it really hard to not have a way to to communicate consistently so you have to be able to read people and kind of be a little bit of a psychologist and sometimes a mediator <laughs> all of that good stuff you are so right so i bring that up because something that you said you know as mm-hmm. as you're learning as a designer as you're learning how to adapt in this new construct i feel like it's getting more important for design to have a more formalized language. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the designers, you know, that's one, I always get into this conversation of the value behind design designers and creators and creatives. 
if we were talking about fine art, right? And someone brought you a Picasso, whether you thought it was pretty or hideous, you <laughs> knew that there was value there. True, yeah. For whatever reason, you, you understood right. that there was value there. If you put a design together, inevitably, and it's, it's happening, it's, it happens with such regularity that you mm -hmm. have to just consider it part of the business. You put a design together, clients will break it apart and figure out how to shop it for less. That to me is the equivalent of somebody taking a Picasso and saying, okay, well, the paint costs this much and you got to use brushes. So the brushes cost this much and the frame, right. you know, the wood costs this and the canvas costs that. So, you know, I would give you a hundred dollars for the materials. Gosh, that would be horrible. I luckily don't have that problem with my clients, but the problem I do have to that sort of same kind of idea is that I, I talk about it like this. It's like, a design is a complete thought. Like if, the, if it was a painting, right? You wouldn't say, okay, like let's tweak this and let's tweak that. Like it would Frankenstein it and you put it back together. Like it doesn't make sense. And so it's really hard. I tell clients there are a lot of right answers in design, but you have to realize that everything is connected. And anytime they start cutting it up too much, they end up hating like the end result. And so it's, that's also part of like, how much do you like let them navigate? How much do you push back? Because clients value different things for different reasons. And some of those things you can't tell them otherwise you know, and you never know until you get into it. And so it's this very fine line you have to walk of how much can you, how much do they want to be educated and how much are they pushing back because they want to know that you're confident and how much are they going to be offended if you're pushing too hard and what, what can we do? Like, what is like the middle good solution that's the, you know, like a win-win for everybody. So that I think is the hardest part of how they, break up whatever you present. I mean, I wish that the problem was them shopping instead of <laughs> keeping the design. <laughs> really? Kind of. I mean, it's, but the thing is at the end of the day, it's a collaborative effort and I'm creating something for someone to live in. I want the, to make them feel good. You know, I just, I want to know, I want to know that I'm doing everything that I can to get it done right. And that like, I did, I shouldn't have done something else. You know what I mean? Cause you, every personality is so different. So that's the thing is like, I, there are times where you definitely know they're going to be unhappy with this. They're going to be happy with the thing that I presented, but they don't know that. And they're not going to know that until this is all done. And then a lot of times clients have straight up been like, you're right. I should have, we should have done this. Let's do it now. And it costs a bunch of money because we've already done X, Y, and Z. And now they're like, go back. <laughs> Things have to get ripped out. But you know, it's, you, you just never know what, what buttons you're going to push. It's just, you, it's constantly just making judgment calls and learning from cues. And like, that's why this all goes back into what we're talking about. And I think that's, what's really interesting about nature is we all learn from cues in our environment and apply them. And we do it in a way that becomes very subconscious and automatic eventually. I, I think you're absolutely right. <clears throat> Which is why, you know, I bring up the idea about language and because I think it's interesting every designer is different um, mm. everyone has different ways of putting together you know you're 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 still limited by the same color palette you're still limited by the availability of of materials you're still right. limited by the same angles and size and square footage and the difference is what you do with all that it's like it's like a it's like when you're when you're talking about music and if you're into you know classic rock and three chords can be turned into thousands of different songs right 
I always use the music analogy. I'm like, I tell people that all the time. I'm like, it's, it's like, a, and I don't know anything about music, but I'm like, it's like a musical piece, right? You can take away, like every note is important, but it's like the whole pic, big picture at the same time, right? So like you can change a note and maybe you can replace it with something else and it'll still sound good, but it's going to change everything else. And then you may have to think about the notes after that. And I don't know, it's like I try to come up with whatever analogy my clients might relate to. <laughs> like I like I had a client that was a writer and I was like, you know, I like to create um, like house to be a have a common narrative, right? Or like I'll say if they're in the entertainment business, um, you know, not every piece can be like the leading character. Like there have to there has to be supporting characters to every room. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so Metaphor. I think I and I think that's really interesting, especially with the psychology aspect of this. And and I'm curious. I I want to know sort of the story as you know your story and how you how you started Black Lacquer. And I'm but cur curious first, as you as you speak and as you're explaining things, I'm wondering if if a degree in journalism and history hasn't helped you tell and craft the stories that you tell. Yeah, I think more than anything, it wasn't maybe the degree, because gosh, that's been a while ago now, but it's the interest in that, like the inherent interest in learning things and studying things about people and really like, and in, and in school, I actually, I did take a lot of classes that were like sociology, psychology, you know, like I was always very, very drawn toward that. Like, so I think, and um, that was probably the best part of my college experiences, like doing journalism. And I mean, I'm sure that you probably had a similar experience like just you it you have to learn about a lot of different things so i do think that if i wasn't like totally called to do interior design or something super creative because the other thing i would do would be i would want to be a writer which i kind of was thinking i would do before i did this um i would be definitely in psychology i mean like by it's this is such like a basic like white girl thing to say but i like i love true crime <laughs> You know, I just like, I'm fascinated by the way the brain works. And I think what's interesting about it is it's not infinite. Like there are very measured ways to study it. And like, things are very textbook. And I think, I think sort of the same applies to design. Like you can really figure it out. And I'm kind of always on this quest to figure it out. And I get like this thrill out of like listening to my intuition or whatever it is that's come from, you know, trying to learn all this stuff and building this library of um, patterns and thoughts in my head and then being correct about it. <laughs> like that to me is really exciting. So I keep, that's my kind of pursuit, I think, in life. Well, and I, and I see the total connection between your interest in, in journalism history and true crime and being a writer mm -hmm. and being a designer because design done correctly, you're not just throwing stuff against the wall. Right and seeing what comes out of it, yeah. you're telling a story. Mm -hmm. in, in many cases, unless it's, you know, unless it's a design house or mm -hmm. a commercial gig, you're telling the story of the people that live there. Absolutely, and I like to really honor, that's how I always kick off any project. Like I really like to honor like the clients, first of all, and then like the architecture of the building. Like I don't want to deviate too much from that. So I feel like already you have a situation that like it's, narrowed down so much just by that because people are like how do you just what inspires you and I'm always like it's just that's where it kicks off um and then from there to me the, it just sort of reveals itself as we 
start thinking about all these different things. Like once I get to know them and I'm looking at like limitations of the space, like things the client likes and doesn't like. And it just kind of, I gave this analogy the other day. It's like Michelangelo saying that the sculptures would like be just under the, the marble, like waiting to, what did, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, wait, waiting to come out. It, it's already there. You know, it's almost <laughs> totally. like, like Zen art. Like, mm -hmm. like it's, it's there. It's, it's within. You just have to have to bring it out. You're listening to my conversation with Caitlin Murray, founder of Black Lacquer Design. We'll get back to this chat in just a minute. As a creative, you're always looking for new partners, new design partners. And here's another that I think you should know. Top designers know this. If you are going to get to the top of your game and stay there, you need strong partners. You hear me talking about partnerships all the time. I've spoken to enough amazing creatives to know that teamwork and strong partnerships are invaluable. Bassman Blaine is a multifaceted home furnishings company with a passion for helping designers do their best work. They represent some of the finest vendors on the planet, and if you are a design professional in California, Nevada, Arizona, or Hawaii, you need to let them help you find the perfect pieces for your projects. Strong partnerships start with a good conversation, and I want to encourage you to start one now with Darby Cooperman, an absolute pro if the last name sounds familiar, it's no coincidence. Darby and I have been married for 28 years. So I know her and I know that she can help you. So email Darby, Darby C, D-A-R-B-Y, the letter C, at BassmanBlaine.com. Let her help you specify products for your amazing designs. All right. And tell her I said hi. Okay. Back to my conversation with Caitlin Murray of Black Lacquer Design. And I, and I feel that, you know, a, a creative career is very much the same way and where you are now. So university in the Midwest with mm -hmm. a degree in journalism and history, then FITM. Mm -hmm. After FITM, House of Honey, MASH Studios. Tell me, how, tell me how you crafted your career thus far and what led to Black, Black Lacquer Design. So I actually started out here in Los Angeles. Um, so I, I'd always wanted to be an interior designer since high school. But when I was picking my degree for my bachelor's degree for college, I was like, I'm 17. Like, what if, what if I end up with an interior design degree? Like, what am I going to do with that if I change my mind? That is so smart. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was so stupid because I wasted so much time. Like, you know, no, <laughs> no. do you really feel that way? Maybe not. I mean, I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't have ended up in LA if I hadn't done that whole thing because basically what happened was I, you know, I went to, to school, I joined a sorority. I like got this internship with this girl who had been in my sorority and then moved out to LA and then moved back when she got married to Indianapolis. And that was my connection that got me my first job in Los Angeles, which was at a PR firm where she had worked. So like working at this PR firm on like Robertson Boulevard and like the height of like what was Robertson Boulevard, you know, I'd be sitting there like at my desk, like looking out into the street, like, man, like these people, like what kind of jobs do they have that they get to just like walk around? They don't have to be stuck behind a desk all day. And then I, you know, I started thinking about design again and every, you know, working in PR, we just had every magazine ever so i'd just be flipping through shelter magazines just sad and desolate <laughs> and I, I would like get on the computer at my lunch break and like scroll through like interior design degrees and i'm like but i'm 23 like i'm too old to go back to school 
<laughs> I can't say that without laughing. <laughs> and then, uh, isn't it funny? Perspective is everything, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And then I got actually really lucky because it was the um, 2008 like crisis, like financial crisis, and my boss was like, "I'm gonna have to put everybody on furlough for two weeks," and you know, there was this older woman that I worked with who was so upset because she had kids in college and she's like, I can't, you know, I can't handle that. And I was like, I'm going to sit a step out. Like, don't put her on furlough. I'm going to, I'm just going to go back to school. And, um, I was lucky because my parents were super supportive and they helped me like go to fit them because I would not have been able to do that on my ridiculously low salary, uh, that had no savings from working a year in PR as an entry-level publicist. So, um, yeah, so I did that and I got to do like an expedited program for already having a degree and it was, it was hard. Like I went to one of the top journalism schools in the country, like the top 10. And I mean, this was hard and I'm glad to your point. I'm glad I did it as an actual adult who'd already been in the workforce. And I really like, it was eyes on the prize. You know, I knew that I needed to do that. And what, whereas in college the first time, you know, it was like partying like Wednesday through Saturday, you know, like wine night on like Monday or whatever. Like, I don't know if I could have done it. I don't know if I had the discipline and I think I was just not ready. So um, then when I was working there, I, I got a job, a part-time job working at MASH Studios because I saw they were looking for somebody to help with PR. And I was like, I can bridge this gap. Like everything was always very strategic, you know? So then that was sort of my way in and Bernard who's the principal over there is like a good friend of mine now and when I was working there there was only six of us now he has like hundreds of employees and like a big like warehouse space and it's it's super cool to see and I'm still I'm friends with um my first boss too like they were both at my wedding and like I'm just so grateful for having had sort of supportive like mentors um along the way and kind of taking those chances and like diving into stuff that was above what I my comfort level was, you know, I always just knew that I had to figure it out. Like I knew that I had to just take the chances and yeah, it's been a crazy ride. <laughs> it has, but, I, but I, I think, um, so it's really funny because I, I have, I have a degree in journalism as well. Mm -hmm. And the uses for that are fairly limiting. Um, it, yeah. it does teach you how to craft a story, which right. I think is incredibly valuable. Um, but your background in um, PR, if you can be, and publicity, if you can be a, an intern or, a, or a, an entry level publicist, you're, you're going to get, whether you get the chops or not, you're going to get the work ethic. You're going to understand the yeah. <laughs> You know, true. You're, you're going to understand what it means to grind oh god right? it was yeah it was yeah. hard yeah, yeah. no <clears throat> and you have one... to just like not even worry about getting rejected because you get rejected because <laughs> you get rejected every day and it's not even about you but it feels personal you know it, it is absolutely <laughs> personal it feels that way and it's funny because i deal with publicists every day and and i love working with publicists um some more than others but yeah. some are just like the sledgehammer to the face. <laughs> no, it's really funny because I I feel like even then I felt like I need a publicist. I don't need to be one, like in a weird <laughs> way. <laughs> and now I have one. I'm like, this is really weird. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally get it. <laughs> so, oh, but it's really one of the things that I find so interesting. And mm -hmm. one of the reasons why I love having these conversations is because in talking to you, I can I can sort of tell where 
the process comes from as far as identifying how you put things together and why and sort of what's behind it. So when I look at your projects, it, then it, it kind of, it tells that completed story, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at a couple of your projects and we, we haven't spoken about these. I didn't tell no. you or your publicist. You tell me anything you know. that we're talking about at all, actually. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and by the way, I, I love that too, because- I do um, too, because we never have time to look at that. No. <laughs> no, but it's really interesting because you can look at design mm -hmm. and you can say, maybe that's not me, but I can tell why it was done this way. Or I want to live there. I yeah. love this. This is exactly mm -hmm. me. How'd she know? Totally. But some of the, and that's where I go back to the, to the language because mm -hmm. I feel like design is an ever-changing art form. Yeah. There's new products, new materials, new processes and procedures, new, new everything, right? And mm -hmm. different ideas. One of the things, I have a huge pet peeve um, and that is the color of the year. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, 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 I have a visceral reaction right. right around this time every year when all of the color of the year start coming out because it's just, I find it really insulting to both right. the design community and the people who are, it's like, oh, well, I, I have to go with, with millennial pink this year. Because, oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, well, what if I don't like salmon? Yeah, okay. <laughs> So that's great. So when I see your work and I want to go through a couple of your projects with you okay. because I'm, I'm also a huge fan of the mashup and I think you have, you have mastered the, the idea of the mashup uh, better than a lot, most others yeah. that I've seen it. And that's why I, I wanted to start with um, the Spanish craftsman, his and okay. hers. I'm a, I am a, I'm a big fan. You know, I'm a native Angelino and okay. loving native, you know. At, Probably lived in all, all kinds of houses like that. <laughs> totally, totally. But, but also loving, you know, Wallace Neff and his mm -hmm. impact on the Southern California architecture scene. Mm -hmm. So when I see someone say, okay, it's Spanish, I'm like, all right, let's see what you got. And then you mash it up with Craftsman. Yeah. Now it's like, okay, let's see. So as I look at this, and by the way, I have to preface this by saying this is a podcast and so you're listening to us and you're not seeing the projects. I, when I started doing this seven years ago, I got, I got these complaints all the time and I had to tell people, it's like, look, you have the internet. I'm telling you where to go. Blacklockerdesign.com. Follow along <laughs> and, and you'll see this. So go to blacklockerdesign.com and go to see the interior, click on interiors the first one that we're looking at is Spanish Craftsman, His and Hers. And it starts, the first image you have is this bathroom and you've got, you've got a Spanish influence for sure in the, in the color palette mm -hmm. and some materials, but, but you've also got a very distinct Craftsman idea right. here. How did this, pro and, and I, by the way, as I continue to go through, you've got probably the most aggressive wallpaper <laughs> I've ever seen in my in my life. So intense, right? It is, but you paired it with with a black and white mm -hmm. tile and grout combination. It just it it really all flows yeah. so nicely. And then you've also like in the shower, for example, you've got that traditional Spanish arch. Yep. Tell me about this project and sort of what you thought putting it together. 
So back to what I was saying before about how the clients and the architecture always are the first things to inform the project. Um, this house, literally, I would describe it as Spanish craftsman. It's got all this craftsman wood detailing everywhere, but it's got all these Spanish elements. You know, it's got a lot of arches. It's, it's, it's stucco on the outside. Like, if you saw the rest of it, it just, that's what it is. And I've never really seen um, a house built in like the 20s or 30s that was both of those things. It's very unique. Yeah. So I wanted to honor that. And the the windows in the his and hers bath, um, well, the hers bath, I guess you could say. Actually, you know, it's funny because the flower wallpaper is technically his bath. <laughs> so anyway. It's very masculine. I know. Right? That whole bath bathroom it's is so really weird. masculine. So she, that's a Christian Lacroix wallpaper and she actually picked it. And it's, that's why, so, you know, that's, you, you uh, kind of merge these clients sort of, like they get hooked on something. It's like, okay, then how do I make this work? But I also like to do uh, something when I'm working on a project where I establish a palette for the whole project. So I was super down with this wallpaper because it tied into that crazy vibrant, um, like existing um, stained glass windows in the other bathroom, right? Cause we're, you, we have this bright yellow, we have this bright blue. And I usually don't go with stuff that's like so saturated. So you're right, like you have to sort of tone it down. You have to create balance. And, um, you know, I, my whole thing is about like the eye moving in a way that nothing feels like jarring or distracting or like, it, you know, you want to use every, even like the negative space in a way that's strategic. So that's why, you know, the black tile on the wainscoting, but then like the floors had to have something but I wanted to also honor like the era. So I used penny rounds, but in a color that pulled from the wallpaper, you know? And so it's, it's just this, I, I think I have like a very artful way of looking at palettes and, and looking at sort of all the principles of design um, that is more of like a fine art kind of lens, even though I don't have a background in fine art or studio art or anything like that. And I actually like Think that my paintings I've ever painted are just horrible and so disappointing. <laughs> but I think that that's kind of the the way that I think about it. So a couple of other details, and then I want to move on to another project. Yeah. <laughs> but um, one of the things that I also look at is: did a designer fully commit, or or did they did they maybe pull their punches a little bit <laughs> where there was an opportunity to do it? And as I look at his bathroom, I can tell you right now, not only is this a very aggressive floral wallpaper, but you also chose probably the most difficult way to paper and install this bathroom. You've got three levels of arches. Yeah. And instead of doing, you know, a paper paint or a paper tile <laughs> offset, you papered the entire thing. So you have, you have the matching, you have the shading from, from the shade, from the elements that come in from the window, from the sunlight, you have um, the different steps. Was that a nightmare? I mean, I have amazing installers. They didn't tell me if it was. <laughs> it's, just, it's just amazing because you committed to it. Yeah, definitely. I think you have to. I mean, I, I like to consider every single surface. You know, everything has to be an intentional choice, in my opinion. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. It's beautifully done. And it's really, and also one of the other things that I find so so wonderful about it is that hers is 
I mean, to call something feminine or masculine mm -hmm. nowadays, but but hers is very light, bright, mm -hmm. airy. Mm -hmm. His is is just uh, aggressive, right. but but tranquil at the same time. Totally. So I think it's I think that's a great project. And that's I, what I really love about working in Los Angeles, as I think that like that men have a really great balance, and I'm talking about straight men in particular, like of of masculine and feminine. And like I was with a couple yesterday, and I was talking about pink plumbing fixtures, and the love husband that. like, I want that. <laughs> and that's awesome. I, I love Los Angeles. I, there's just so many creatives, you know? You know, it's, it's funny you say that. Um, in 2012, I did, a, I did a design house, and in one of the bathrooms was this, this fire engine red roll uh, oh, yeah. fixture, and I just absolutely fell in love with that. It was just- I it, that was in a project. Have you? <laughs> it's Vola, though. It's not roll. Oh, but, oh really? Yeah, the one that I did. Um, oh, okay. It's in that Manhattan, that's like I think it's like the first or second one in my portfolio. It's a fire engine red with on a crazy wallpaper. Go figure. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to go back and look at that one. The second one that I was looking at, um, because it's home, is your Manhattan Beach Modern. That's it. That's the project. Oh, is that the one? Wait, no. Sorry. Sorry. No, no, no. That's no. I'm thinking we're done. We Manhattan Beach Modern. No, that actually does have some crazy fixtures in it too, though. I think. So this has some, and by the way, again, I'm going to say this. I know it's a podcast and I know you're listening to us tell the story of design. Go to blacklackerdesign.com and click on the, on the inspiration page and go look at the projects with us. Here's what I love. Cause so Manhattan beach is home. Oh, nice. Manhattan beach has been home since um, the days of beach bungalows oh, of yeah. which, of which I live in one. And oh. Old I get so Volvo. sad when those get ripped out. Just disclaimer. I know that this is one of those houses that replaced probably one, but. <laughs> okay. Oh, is it really? Well, anyway, but here's, oh dear. Okay. Well, not <laughs> there's, like, no, there's no, no the neighborhood wasn't, there's there's neighborhood no, not one that's full of like the pretty ones. It was just like the little, <laughs> I was on like the forties, you know, like those ones that are just like, mm, hasn't really been like maintained. It's like post-war. I totally get it. <laughs> um, but let, let's pretend because we don't see the exterior. And yeah. really, I wanted to talk about the interior because uh -huh. one of my one of my pet peeves, another pet peeve. Apparently, I have a lot of them. Is that um, same? This this whole idea of the Cape Cod mod mm -hmm. is just popping oh, up everywhere, yeah. right? Yeah. So you you'll have a lot of Cape Cod modern, very white. Mm -hmm. and and everything is just very very minimal sleek yeah it's modern it's it's yeah. supposedly comfortable but there's very risk very very little risk taken because much of it is done by developers and right. not by designers yeah, totally so when i see a modern that's mm -hmm. local that's done this way so there's just an absolute ton of color but it's not all color it's and and because you're in a beach community mm -hmm. you don't have as much square footage as you might somewhere else right. so the first place i wanted to start is with the choices you made in the kitchen so this project was interesting because i signed on with this client before the house was even beginning to be built they hired a, a great architect uh that was local i think his name's john star um i don't know if you know him but they so i worked closely with 
his team as well and and the builder we did so many variations of the kitchen like they the kitchen was something that they were very 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 particular about like wanting like this was like the first time that they'd build a house they wanted everything included all the bells and whistles to incorporate you know any appliance that they thought that they would ever want like so it was it was a lot of versions that we went through and they also wanted it to be something that was just sort of different um so we uh we got there after i don't even know how looking at how many materials and layouts <laughs> like <a> tons <laughs> well it what's interesting too is that the use of space is phenomenal there's there's this the sink island um, mm -hmm. The windows were set up and horizontal, mm -hmm. which gave you a, a lot of a lot of room to play with there. But also this dining area that juts out. Ah, yeah. From I just think I think it's a great use of space. From space again to wallpaper between the 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 bedroom and then this bathroom with with the geometric shapes and the mm -hmm. color. Guess who wanted that? The husband. <laughs> I'm seeing a pattern. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because these this couple works in like finance. Like they're not even in the creative industry. <laughs> but yeah, he found that wallpaper and it was so funny because I was like, I had that in the background of my phone. It's a colon sun um, wallpaper. And so I was like, yeah, let's do it, obviously. But that sort of established the palette for me. Like when he brought that to me, I was like, this is what, this is what the house is going to live in, you know? And then um, the last one I'll I'll point out here is the in the bath the hot pink cabinetry on the on the, on the I mean wow it's, it, yeah I love it right it's a kids bath so and it was like they had a boy and a girl and so the in the shower we did this like blue and white like crazy geometric uh, abstract like tile. And then on the vanity, we did the pink. And I thought that was super cute because like the, it's a Jack and Jill bathroom where the girl's bedroom is on one side and like the playroom is on the other side. So, you know, doing that stuff, as long as you keep it balanced, right? It's so like, that's why everything else is like very, very light and fresh, um, white walls, all that. The last project I wanted to, I wanted to focus on is what you're calling your arts and crafts glam. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So what's, what's so interesting to me is, you know, when I see it, it's lavender. What color is that? Is that purple? Is that lavender? Um, which one are you do looking you, at? You which know, room? It's Arts and Crafts Glam. And, you know, it looks like the, the, the rafters were, were painted with this lavender. And you've got it. You can oh, see. Oh, in the living room? Yeah. So you can see all of the elements. Of, of this arts and crafts home, but the, the manner in which you, you spoke to it and you addressed it by, you know, painting the rafters totally. and the wood around it. You know, where normally, here's the thing, what you can tell, you can look at this and you can tell. When this was built, everything that's lavender would be a dark, heavy wood. I know, and it was, and I was like, I'm totally gonna get hate mail for this because people get so upset when you like, desecrate a craftsman, you know, like, I know. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, it's almost, well, so it's a little darker than it looks there. It's like more of like an aubergine color, Okay. but you got to understand these people, like this was, this is the great granddaughter of like Mary Kay. Like she's like rock and roll, like punk rock meets like, you know, 
like makeup. <laughs> and so they, they were just, they were a really funky couple. So it, it was like, they had this house, like it didn't make any sense for them. Like the people who lived there before, it was like just the most typical cookie cutter, you know, craftsman setup and colors and all of that. So I'm just like, you know what? Let's just go for it. <laughs> that is awesome. Um, I, I love it. And I also love how you have this sitting area by the fireplace and then it sort of draws everything down. It wasn't too much. Um, it just felt like enough. That yeah. tile um, on the fireplace, where did that come from? Do you remember? That is actually, that's like a cement tile. I want to say maybe it's from like Granada tile. But I was trying to pull those like quatrefoils from the stained glass, those like original stained glass windows. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I can't remember what was there. It wasn't something, I mean, it was something that was very heavy. I don't remember, I don't remember if it was the original tile that we ripped out. Usually I'm very, I'm very, very careful when it comes to historic architecture because I love historic architecture, especially in Los Angeles. I think it's super important to preserve it. I think it's super important to honor it, but there are certain times where it just doesn't make sense, you know? Yeah, and listen, original architecture or an original craftsman would not have a pink kitchen. Nope, but again, Mary Kay. I got it. No, <laughs> no so, it's really interesting. I, I totally get it. Right. Um, yeah, it makes, it makes perfect sense. And again, back to the living room and, and in many of the other spaces that you design, not bathrooms, there, you use like over the fireplace to bring the, other, to bring the whole room together. You, you're using mirrors to bounce the light around. Right, yeah. Which, which I think is really smart, especially in, in a room like this, which is somewhat narrow. And that fireplace mm -hmm. is kind of a nook, you know, it's a... Yeah. Totally. It, it gets small and you're looking for a way to, to build it up and make it bigger again. Totally. And I love this. I, I just Thank think you. it's fantastic. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, that was a fun one. <laughs> and I'm just curious, why boo in the tile in the back? They're obsessed with just everything witchy and supernatural. And like, it's, they just, <laughs> that's their jam. Like they had all these weird, like, you know that store Necromance? Like it, it's, like, it's like that. It's like, and just, yeah, so that was, we wanted to do something fun, like it wanted to say something. And so that was kind of, I think maybe there was like joking about like the house being haunted or something, I don't know. <laughs> it's just their vibe. Like, and again, it's always all about the client. Like people want to, um, I think, feel like heard and seen and like, and they want things to feel really personal. So I like, I try to honor that and, and pull like the best of whatever that is out of it, you know? <laughs> And, and I've, I have also noticed a theme, too, in the hanging swing chair. <laughs> you like bringing those inside. You know, I'm trying to think. I, there, I did one in a project in the Hollywood Hills. I'm actually working on a house down the street from me, my neighbor's house, that they installed, the developer installed one <laughs> in there. And then I had one in my house, um, which was a pain to do. Like, you, you had to do, like, a two-by-four and go up in the ceiling. Yeah, it's funny. Sometimes in a corner, it's just something that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> I totally get it. Um, the last question I have for you, um, and you've been very generous with your time and I appreciate it. Oh, no, yeah, you're fine. I'm sorry, I was late. because. No, 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 please. I, I love it. <laughs> the last question I have for you is, um, the, the manner in which you design it, 
is is very client centric, client focused. And where we are these days, design is changing because mm-hmm. the manner in which we live is changing. Mm-hmm. Um, how has this affected you professionally? How has this changed the way that you work? You know, I think one thing that every designer really wants is the ability to express themselves creatively without sort of those limitations of um, budget and client preferences, you know, in a perfect world. But I think I've sort of just had to learn to lean into that and figure out what, how to, how to distill all these elements and find the best from it. And I think that that's just the way that we always have to practice living life. And, you know, and you can still create something beautiful, even if it's not maybe what you would have made otherwise. It's about sort of that collaboration and like the, the ability to connect with somebody and then, you know, maybe push yourself a little bit in the process. So I, I try to let go of that idea that like, if I'm looking at it's, I have this like immediate knee jerk reaction to want to criticize myself or my work if somebody compliments it because I'm thinking about the holes. I'm thinking about the things that didn't go the way I wanted and, and like, oh, but if I only could have, you know, had a different piece of art or whatever it is, it would have, it would have been perfect. It would have been what I wanted. And I realized that like my personal satisfaction from creating something isn't, you know, the, the most important thing and like the be all end all. There's something that you could be really rewarded from in what the end result was, even if it was different, maybe than you might've planned it. So. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. If only there wasn't a pandemic. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) If only I always been telling people that like, we cannot live in a world of if onlys. And I try to, I say that out loud because I have to remind myself. (laughs) It's, it's so true. No, it really is true. And that's the thing. That's the thing that I'm finding on a regular basis too, is we always have to go back and remind ourselves. And, and it's kind of back to your idea. You know, you brought up Wabi Sabi, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and finding the beauty and imperfection. Yeah. And this is certainly a, a year to maybe maybe right. look at that. Caitlin, thank you so much for taking thank the time. So this-, this was really fun. This was a great way to kick off my full day. I'm excited now. I'm energized. Oh, <laughs> I love it. You made my day. <laughs> All right. Well, take care. I can't wait to hear it. Caitlin, thank you. Thank you for the time. Thank you for the chat. Love this. Um, Thank you, Walker Zanger, for your continued support, and thank you for listening. Were it not for you, there would be no Convo by Design. Please make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss a single episode. You can find Convo by Design everywhere you get your favorite podcasts. You can also ask your smart device to play Convo by Design, and it will. If you want to continue the conversation, you can find us on Instagram at Convo by Design with an X. Be well, and until next week, keep creating. Keep creating.